Hello and welcome to Clearing the Lens with me, Melissa Ndrovo, a podcast to equip and help you in your ultimate calling, which is to glorify God. I'm a newlywed, a mom, a Bible-believing Christian, and a woman in corporate, and I'm so excited to be talking to you today. Before we begin with today's episode, like I said two weeks ago, we are working on some cool merchandise. If you follow us on Instagram, you will have seen what we're playing with. If you don't follow us, please do with at Clearing the Lens. We're working on t-shirts which say I don't co-create with the created universe, which is from our manifestation episode. And we'll have stickers which say I persevere different with Philippians 4 verse 13 underneath it, which are about how as Christians we can be content and long-suffering in any instance because of Christ who empowers us in all things. The stickers will be different colors, so black and white, black, pink and white, and pink and black. The totes we spoke about will likely only be available next year sometime. I am struggling to find a supplier for the look that I want. So look out for a social media post on how to pre-order these and their costs. I would really appreciate the support. Okay, today we are talking about community. This is a very intriguing topic to me. One, because of the changes I've experienced in my own life regarding this. And also how our idea of community has changed in recent years as we've become more and more of a digital focused society. Today's conversation explores what community or being in relationship with people means. If we're inherently wired to need community, or if this is a learned trait, the benefits of community and whether the space they occupy, be it virtual or physical, actually matters. Most importantly, we look at what the Bible has to say about community and what being in community looks like biblically. I know you'll enjoy this episode because I thoroughly enjoyed researching for it and was blown away by what I found, so stay tuned. So what is community? My understanding of what community is, is that it's a group of people joined together because of something they have in common, be it shared values, shared interests, or shared beliefs. The National Library of Medicine describes community as a group of people with diverse characteristics who are linked by social ties, share common perspectives, and engage in joint action in geographical locations or settings. The Stanford Social Innovation Review notes community as the following. First and foremost, community is not a place, a building, or an organization, nor is it an exchange of information over the internet. Community is both a feeling and a set of relationships among people. People form and maintain communities to meet common needs. Members of a community have a sense of trust, belonging, safety, and caring for each other. They have an individual and collective sense that they can, as part of that community, influence their environments and each other. The executive director of the Latin American Health Institute of Boston notes on the Aikido website that, to him, a community is a group of individuals connected to each other by one or more attributes. The element that links them together is at the core and is the essence of the group. As human beings, we need a sense of belonging, and that sense of belonging is what connects us to the many relationships we develop. And so, we see from these definitions that communities have the following characteristics. We see common perspectives, a shared sense of belonging, meeting of a common need, sometimes geographical locations, not always, a certain level of ties, trust or bonds, engagement, care and influence. And I would say that these characteristics are common in deep-rooted relationships, as well as in maybe not-so-deep ones, like a book club. The extent to which you see these show up as, whether they pertain to members at a group level versus an individual and more intimate level, 
would just differ based on the context. For example, a book club versus a friendship group. The ways community benefits us are the following. There's support, social engagement, generally in activities we enjoy, which can also lead to stress and anxiety alleviation, accountability, shared knowledge and more learning opportunities, communication benefits as well, to name a few. I was at the We Need to Talk tour with Preston Perry and Ezekiel Azonwu, and one lady asked why we're so addicted to relationships. Jackie Hill Perry answered that we crave relationships because we're made in the image of God and noted that while the girl's question was around romantic relationships, there is a misconception that that need for relationship cannot be fulfilled through friendship as well. Having that in mind from Saturday, I decided to have a deeper look into what being made in the image of God actually means in this area. So in Genesis, we see the following. In Genesis 1 verse 26 to 27, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Being made in the image of God means a few things, but one aspect of this is that just as God exists in community within himself, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we bear his image in this sense in our communities as well. As Christians, we believe in the one triune God. Jesus says in John 14, If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on you know him and have seen him. And later on, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. And on the Holy Spirit, he says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. There is no contradiction in the Trinity. There's also no lack or need in the Trinity. God is fully self-sufficient. There is also complete relationship and communion within the Trinity. And this is why we say God is love. Wow, God did not create us because he needed minions. He was fully satisfied in himself. He was not seeking a place to belong. He had and he has that, but we're not God. When Adam was alone, God said, it's not good that man should be alone. And God made Eve. Based on this, we see that our desire for community and relationship is not taught. Our need is ingrained in us because of how our creator designed us. This is why even when in this day and age, we no longer really need each other for survival, we still feel the need to belong some way to connect with others physically, spiritually, and emotionally. Do we exploit this? Yes, because although sin has not stripped us of being made in the image of God, it does mean that in some ways this was distorted because of the influence of our own sinful desires. And so there is nothing shameful or weak about needing community. It's a reflection of how we are created beings. And it is no wonder that when we were all isolated during COVID, that we saw the rise in mental health conditions that we did. We were not made for solitude. So how has the digital age impacted our relationships and therefore us? 
Well, the rise in online interactions with not just people we know, but people we don't has meant that we're constantly engaging in the world around us and often with like-minded people as we curate our feeds, who we follow, etc. At face value, this seems good. However, the digital age, I feel, has also contributed to us, one, having a false sense of community with people we do not know, and two, diminishing the value of our actual real-life communities. I've heard pastors speak to how they will get long DMs from complete strangers detailing issues the senders experiencing in their marriage and asking them what they should do when they've never even met said preacher. We also see a rise in younger generations having best friends they've never physically met, purely because they spend hours talking or gaming online. But can you really be best friends with someone you've never met? Is this true community? The COVID pandemic showed us the importance physical interactions play in our sense of belonging and community. The sharp rise in mental health conditions due to the forced isolations also coincided with stock increases in online platform usage. Surely, if talking online was enough for us relationally, we would not have seen the significant impact not being able to physically be with our communities, which we did see. Deka Kultner, the founding director of the Greater Good Science Center, and I think I butchered his name, and a professor of psychology at the University of California, Berkeley, performed a study in 2010 to see whether we can communicate certain emotions through touch. And he found that touch provides its own language of compassion, a language that is essential to what it means to be human. In other research of his, he found that people can not only identify love, gratitude, and compassion from touches, but can actually differentiate between these kinds of touch, something people haven't done as well in studies of facial and vocal communication. The Annual Review of Anthropology, Volume 50, published in October 2021, notes the following. Touch is the most fundamental means of contact with the world the simplest and most straightforward of all sensory systems. Despite the fact that skin is the largest sense organ, touch is the one sense most taken for granted and overlooked in research and in society. Through various forms of interpersonal touch, the individual also becomes part of a social group and shapes social interactions. These embodied practices and experiences, i.e. touching and being touched by others, shift over the life course and are variously important for human sociality. In a study called Friendship Groups and Physical Activity, qualitative findings on how physical activity is initiated and maintained among 10 to 11-year-old children, published by the International Journal of Behavioral Nutrition and Physical Activity, it states that physical activity was perceived as a positive attribute and linked to social status amongst boys, among girls, the association between physical activity, ability, and social status was more complex, appearing to differ by the norms of the group to which participants belonged. Some participants reported that low activity ability could be perceived as desirable in some social groups. Not to mention the 2010 study noted in the National Library of Medicine. In the study's 20 preterm babies recently transferred from the neonatal intensive care unit to the transitional care unit, we're given 15 minutes of mechanosensory stimulation three times per day for 10 days. The data showed that extra mechanosensory stimulation led to superior growth and developmental performance. Although caloric consumption did not differ between the two groups, infants receiving mechanosensory stimulation averaged 
47% greater weight gain per day than the unstimulated controls and were discharged an average of six days earlier. The stimulated infants also spent more time awake and active and exhibited more mature habituation, orientation, motor and range of state behaviours in the Brazelton Neonatal Behavioural Assessment Scale. The positive effects appear to be persistent. When these babies were retested 8 and 12 months after treatment, the stimulated infants were in a higher weight percentile group, scored better on the Bailey Mental and Motor Assessment Test, and had a reduced incidence of neurological soft signs, which are minor neurological abnormalities indicating nonspecific cerebral dysfunction. In May 2010, Scientific American magazine released a study on children without prenatal care who underwent early life touch deprivation. The findings indicated that these children exhibited changes in the levels of oxytocin and vasopressin, two crucial hormones for social bonding. Remarkably, even after being placed with a family, these hormone levels remained altered for up to three years, underscoring the adverse impact of touch deprivation on human well-being. As we grow older, our primary sources of touch are no longer our primary caregivers, but the people we choose to be in communicate and community with. I strongly believe, based on the research, that being part of communities or relationships which only exist online deprives us of an important aspect of community or relationship, physical presence or touch. And so, while an online friend we may never meet can be very dear to us, and while I'm not in any way against creating online communities for various interests, etc., I do strongly believe that our online-based activities should never cause us to neglect the opportunities for physical community around us. Also, I think we need to, in some cases, see online social media interactions for what they are, superficial. A comment or reaction on someone's status is not the same as a message or phone call or coffee date to catch up on how they are. When it comes to our close community and people we're doing life with, what we do online adds to or builds on what we do in real life. Moving on, let's dive into what the Bible says on what our communities should look like. And the Bible has a lot to say about this. So looking at what being in community with the person or people means, I think we can all agree that being in community at face value is very enriching for us as humans. We want to belong, we want to have people in our lives that we can trust and people who care for us and who we can care for. We want to learn, be better communicators. I think along these I think although these characteristics of communities are good in theory or at face value, the reality is not all communities we find ourselves in are beneficial for us. For instance, terrorist organizations have a shared sense of belonging, there's trust, there's care and common perspectives. Does that mean that these communities are therefore good because you've seen our communities benefit us physically, socially, mentally, and spiritually? I would say no to that. What about communities which are founded on the basis of values which do not align with a biblical ethic? For instance, the LGBTQ community or even pedophile rings. Can community be inherently good purely based on how it benefits us personally, even if this is at the expense of others or society? Surely not. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity speaks to how, and I am paraphrasing, in each of us there's a knowledge of what is morally right or wrong. He argues that although the instinct to say, love our children, is a function of nature, 
the moral code which we all inherently have by God's design means that at times even a doting mother knows she may need to rank something else as more important than her love for her child in any given moment. For instance, if my child hits another person's child, in that moment it is not nature which tells me that I need to reprimand my child and consider the needs of the other child above my love for mine. It's the fact that there is a set moral law which exists by virtue of us being created beings made in the image of God, and that is whether we choose to acknowledge it or not. One very key way we can know what God esteems as true and good is through reading our Bibles. Unfortunately, the Bible has a lot to say regarding friendship and community essentially, which guides us on what biblical community looks like. In Zechariah 7 verse 9 to 10, the Lord says to Zechariah, Execute true justice. Show mercy and compassion, everyone to his brother. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the alien or the poor. Let none of you plan evil in his heart against his brother. Some amongst the people of God were finding it easier to fast a few days a year instead of treating their neighbors in a godly way. This bad relationship they had with others demonstrated a fundamentally bad relationship which they had with the Lord. Proverbs 17 verse 17 says, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Proverbs 27 verse 9, Ointment and perfume delight the heart, and the sweetness of a man's friend gives delight by hearty counsel. Matthew Henry notes in his commentary on this passage that the burden of care is made lighter by unbosoming ourselves to our friend, and it is a great satisfaction to us to have his sentiments concerning our affairs, the sweetness of friendship lies not in hearty mirth and hearty laughter, but in hearty counsel, faithful advice, sincerely given and without flattery, by counsel of the soul. When we look at the early church, we see how in Acts the Bible says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles, now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. And that's Acts 2 verse 42 to 47. And also, now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. And with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked, for all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them, and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold, and laid them at the apostles' feet and they distributed to each as anyone had need. And that's Acts 4, verse 32 to 35. Ecclesiastes 4, verse 9 to 12 says, Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him, and the threefold cord is not quickly broken. Jesus says in John 15 verse 12 to 14, 
This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. In Hebrews 10 verse 24 to 25, we're commanded to have personal, physical contact with other believers. Why? So we can be encouraged in our faith and in the doing of good works. It is difficult to grow in these areas without examples, and the relationships we form in our Christian communities become those examples. As Christians, we were never meant to live life in isolation. Colossians 3 verse 12 to 17 says, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another, if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you record in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 12 to 14 says, And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Be at peace amongst yourselves, now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. 1 Peter 4 verse 89, And above all things have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. Galatians 6 verse 2, Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Philippians 2 verse 3 to 4, let nothing be done from selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. And in James 2 verse 14 to 17, what does it profit my brethren if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body. What does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. And this is one of those verses that's often dragged, kicking and screaming out of its context um, for our own asegetical purposes. But anyways, we move on. I could go on and on and on. There are so many passages in the Bible on community and fellowship and the benefits of community and fellowship and the negative impacts of bad community and bad fellowship. But what we see in the Bible is the following regarding being in relationship with people and how being in com and being in community with people. What we see in the Bible is the following: how a significant part of our walk as Christians pertains to relationships and how we treat people. We see long-suffering and forgiveness. We see things in common, belonging or being part of something bigger than us, sacrifice and selflessness, but also in the same breath reciprocity, bearing one another's burdens. We see patience with each other. 
We see admonishment, which is to warn or reprimand someone firmly or to advise or urge someone earnestly. And so we also see a gentle calling out and accountability born out of close relationship. Interestingly, in the church context, there's also a holding of leaders in high regard because of the positions they hold and a requirement for members to be part of ministering to the saints in whichever way they're called to be as well, be it admonishing or warning the unruly, cheering people up, helping weaker believers to trust God. We also see hospitality, which implies physical accessibility. Hospitality is a biblical principle I'd love to do an episode on sometime in the future from someone who with someone who lives it because it's an area I'd love to grow in. And so when the world says, pour into those who pour into you, the Bible says, let nothing be done from selfish ambition or conceit, but in loneliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. When the world advocates for canceling people we are in relationship with, we're called to have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. When the world distorts the meaning of tolerance and demands that we hold all ideas as equally legitimate even when they go against the word of God in the name of peace, in inverted commas, we look to the word which says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, and actually to have no fellowship with fellow Christians who insist on living in sin in the hopes that this drastic action will lead them to repentance. There is nothing that is by the way about being in community or in relationship with others as we're called to. It is intentional and sometimes it will hurt and require more from us than we're willing or able to give by our own strength. Proverbs says, as iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. When last did you sharpen anything by half-heartedly and inconsistently brushing it? Sharpening of iron happens through striking, friction, and with sparks. And isn't that what our relationships can and maybe should look like sometimes if we're constantly on a journey of sanctification and so are not perfect and will need correction? And isn't the outcome of this beautiful when the sharpening is done in humility, gentleness, and love? Like I said, I really enjoyed researching this topic and was quite blown away by the descriptions I found on the nature of the Trinity and of course the studies on the importance of touch. It also left me feeling quite challenged because I am a huge homebody who would much rather just be at home, alone or with my immediate family versus having people over or leaving to go to people. Interactions with people are not a primary source of energy for me, but knowing we were made for community and knowing the Christian walk is very much a self-sacrificial one, puts a twist on the socially accepted idea that people like me, for instance, should only do what serves us and our needs and align with people who affirm or understand that and don't challenge us. Fortunately, God has proven himself faithful time and time again when I've trusted him to give me strength in this area. What I haven't really spoken to today is how our community can and will sometimes disappoint us. It is not all sunshine and roses. When we open up our lives and hearts to relationships, we run the risk of being hurt, and we likewise run the risk of hurting others. And it will happen at least once in all our lives. When we open our homes, we will be inconvenienced. God doesn't say this won't happen. Even the early church was not without their fair share of drama. But that doesn't mean our design is bad and should be ignored. 
It just means we're still on this side of eternity. And one day, we won't be. And we'll see community fully in the way God created for eternity. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you tune in next time. If you've enjoyed this episode, please like and follow this podcast or leave us a comment. We'd love to hear from you. This is me saying goodbye and reminding you of your ultimate calling in this moment, this day, and this week to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Hey!